Uh, good afternoon again on this fine summer day. Uh, now we're on the chapter 13, Political Life, Social Order and Disorder. And uh, we're going to be talking about the different kinds of political organizations that have existed through time, from the most uh, simple and small scale to the most complex and large. Uh, and then also the spread of state societies. Uh, state societies are the most complex and largest of all kinds of political organizations, and they tend to spread at the expense of chiefdoms and tribes and bands that we'll talk about uh, in the course. Looking at uh, variation in political process, and here we're going to talk about who can be leaders, uh, what voice individuals have in the political process, and then finally we'll turn to the resolution of conflict. Conflict is normal in any societies. People uh, don't get along for a variety of reasons, misunderstandings to uh, outright kind of criminal behavior, and so we'll kind of review the uh, forms of conflict resolution uh, that uh, have occurred, and uh, some of those uh, would include th such things as, as warfare rating and feuding, etc., etc. So uh, that's the agenda for Chapter 13. Uh, so we'll be talking about, and you'll see in the next uh, slide, which is a, uh, a table from your text, um, moving from band-level societies to tribal to chiefdom and state-level uh, organizations. I have uh, quite a bit of experience doing research among the Yanomama tribal people. Uh, band-level societies are the oldest kind of societies. They've uh, characterized our social organization, social political organization, for um, you know probably 95% of our existence as a species. So these are the kind of like original human a form of a social organization, and then up through uh, finally state organizations. Uh, and here's a, an examination of uh, a column here: band, tribes, chiefdoms, and states. And then across the rows, uh, you know, highest levels of political integration. For example, in simple band-level societies, the local group uh, is the uh, kind of only group that exists as an independent political entity. If we move to tribe, then sometimes. Uh, different local groups, different villages band together to form a, a single unit, uh, and that's a major step in sociocultural evolution. Uh, and then we move to chiefdoms, uh, same uh, thing, except that multi-local groups are uh, standard, uh, and uh, we begin to have more specialization uh, in uh, leadership. Uh, and then these are correlated, too, with um, the mode of uh, subsistence. And what we generally find in the, this kind of march from band, tribe, chiefdom to state is that more intensive food production uh, leading to a, a greater population density leads to more complex forms of social organization. So population growth is kind of like the motor, if you will, the engine uh, for the development of these different forms of uh, uh, social organization. And then, you know, we'll look at status differences, too, uh, egalitarian. Uh, and here, it's sexually, it's not egalitarian because men uh, are equal to one another, uh, but women uh, typically um, take a back seat in the uh, political process. And so this is standard patriarchy, which occurs in all these levels of society here. And then different forms of, um, uh, of, of, of food uh, and, and service distributions that we talked about earlier, I think, in Chapter um, 9 of this course. And so uh, take a look at that table because it nicely summarizes some of the, the trends that we're going to be talking about in the following slides. And so in band-level organization, the community is the largest group that acts as a political unit. And you have to think of these band-level societies. Each band 
each community acts as if it were an independent uh, political nation. Uh, they make peace with whomever they want, they make war on whoever they want, uh, and so these are like, uh, for example, uh, the people I study, there's about um, oh, uh, 150 different villages. Each one of them is independent of the other and can decide whether to uh, make war or peace um, uh, on, on its neighbors. Typically, there's lots of alliances, which is a way to protect yourself in an environment of intensive warfare. Uh, the leadership is uh, informal. Uh, typically, the leader is called a headman. Uh, and uh, he really has no, uh, the ability, he doesn't have the ability to use coercion to settle disputes. He has to essentially use persuasion, and the term headman is ad because women typically never occupy this uh, position. And uh, more or less everyone is equal. That is, if you're a male and old enough, uh, then, you know, we have these societies are the um, original democratic uh, societies. I forget what your history uh, professors say about Greece and, and democracy. It became early on. In fact, it's kind of typical of uh, human nature to have this kind of uh, highly democratic um, uh, social system. But again, remember, uh, it's restricted to men. All men are equal in their political power. Uh, obviously, some guys have um, uh, greater status, a greater influence. Uh, potentially, uh, everyone's equal. Uh, then if we look at tribal organizations, we begin to get the kind of merging or strong alliances uh, between different um, uh, villages. Uh, typically, these alliances are based on kinship, um, such as lineages or clan organizations. The communities are still small. The leadership <clears throat> is still informal. We have a headman, but he's beginning to get a little bit more uh, power as time goes on. Um, the social, the economic system moves from hunting and gathering and fishing to extensive agriculture, but still uh, a good amount of uh, hunting and gathering and fishing, or sometimes herding. And again, as I mentioned, still egalitarian. And here's an example of um, a tribal multilocal kind of uh, organization where we have essentially uh, a village here and a village here. Uh, and uh, they um, uh, have their own kind of areas, uh, and uh, but they're linked by ties to kinship, so they're kind of like higher level groups, and they uh, can uh, protect each other in case someone from C or D might want to take some of their land uh, or, or cattle or something of that nature, and so begin to get these hierarchies developing, uh, and actually these uh, tribal um, uh, uh, segments can become very, very large, numbering into hundreds of thousands of people. They typically don't act as a unit unless they are attacked by some other ethnic group. And so the power of this, what they in text described as, as, as a segmentary lineage system, is that one can rapidly mobilize uh, to um, engage in, in heavy-duty warfare, or also uh, others, you know, who are members of the alliance might try to use a persuasion to uh, ask C and D to um, uh, settle um, their dispute peacefully if they happen to have a dispute. Uh, and so the, the leadership in, in, in three, four, uh, E and, and F uh, may, you know, um, ask those groups to stop uh, squabbling with, uh, with one another. Uh, and so it's a really interesting kind of uh, organization that's uh, uh, common uh, throughout the world uh, that uh, allows these um, kinds of groups to um, have a much more um, uh, political power as a unit. 
Then uh, we move to chiefdom level organizations. So again, we have multi-local groups, larger communities. A chief has higher rank than others. And the real important thing here is that, you know, these are ranked societies in, in that uh, we have the development of what's known as hereditary inequality. That means that your ability to rise in the political system depends on who your father was and uh, what kind of rank he has in the system. And so we kind of have, you know, for example, the you know, leadership class, the commoners, and at the bottom, maybe um, slaves uh, in this kind of uh, organization. Um, agriculture begins begins to become more intensive. That is, people are uh, producing more uh, food per uh, uh, area of, of, of land. Uh, and as mentioned, you know, we have this ranking system. Uh, state organizations, again, uh, we're getting even larger scale. We have cities and towns. Uh, and some of the cities are administrative uh, centers. Uh, there's a great deal of specialization uh, in the political hierarchy. We have uh, police, we have army, we have tax collectors, uh, we have people who work um, uh, in infrastructure, maintaining canals, and so we get this kind of growth of government uh, which largely serves uh, pro-social ends, that is ends that uh, largely allow uh, people to uh, be better off. For example, the uh, leadership may provide famine relief, they may help in the construction of needed infrastructure like irrigation canals, roads, um, the military protects them from uh, outside um, uh, forces. And then, you know, as since these societies are, are larger, they have higher population densities, even more intensive agriculture uh, and, and herding. And we get the development of kind of class-based societies uh, distinguished on land holding um, that leads to differences in wealth. And um, sometimes there's a great deal of rigidity uh, in these uh, systems. Uh, such that uh, you can only marry into your own caste. Uh, you can't marry into a caste above you to kind of like have some upward mobility. And so we've moved essentially from in bands and tribes to a highly democratic organization to here. Uh, we have a uh, highly hierarchical organization where there's not a lot of ability to move uh, up the scale depending on, you know, uh, owing to your own skills and strengths, et cetera, et cetera. You're kind of stuck. Uh, in this sort of system. And as the highlight mentions, um, in um, we'll get to it a little bit, but you see that highlight uh, there on, on democracy, uh, that you know we kind of move from a very egalitarian system through cultural evolution to a hierarchical uh, system of inequality. And now we're moving back to a more democratic uh, way of, of living in modern uh, levels, uh, modern societies. Um, so look at variation in types of political organization. Um, and here, here's a generalization. Uh, you know, we're moving from uh, changes in food uh, collection to more, that's hunting and gathering, to more intensive food production, intensive agriculture from small to large communities, from low to high population densities. And this is what the story of the, uh, the development of the state has been through time. Um, What's really clear is that state-level societies are extremely effective in expanding their domains and incorporating more simply organized societies such as bands and tribes into their political uh, control. And so um, this state-level uh, politics you know, is, dominates the world. There's 192 officially recognized states uh, in, the, in the United uh, Nations. Uh, before that time, 
there were thousands of independent political entities, but now there are only 192. And based on past history, a number of invest investigations, actually I should say investigators, have suggested that the entire world will be eventually become uh, politically integrated. Now, through globalization, we're becoming more and more economically integrated. Uh, and with, uh, for example, um, the European um, Economic Community, where there's a lot of economic integration, or the Brexit uh, is an example where that's kind of beginning to fall apart. Uh, but uh, we have all these sorts of international organizations that try and integrate the interests of um, uh, each nation uh, in the world as a, um, as a whole. So there's you know, more and more political uh, integration uh, as uh, time has, uh, has moved on, as we've reduced the number of independent political entities from thousands to only 192 uh, today, and they cover the entire earth. Um, variation in the political process, we're going to be talking about getting to be a leader, uh, and then also political participation, which I just talked about a few seconds ago. Uh, but basically, uh, we have, you know, uh, this um, in, in uh, egalitarian societies, bandwidth societies, we have headmen. Uh, and then as things become a bit more complex, in the later stages of tribal organization, we have big men. Uh, and frequently these uh, individuals are political or economic entrepreneurs that have uh, clients uh, that serve them and that help them out uh, based on uh, the uh, leader's uh, wealth and, and influence. Uh, typically, we don't have big women. Uh, there's a section there on the Banatanai uh, where women um, uh, are able to, you know, compete in certain areas of life with men, especially as, as the text mentions in, in trading organizations. And this may have uh, come about uh, because of the uh, relative amount of peacefulness uh, in the uh, in the um, uh, area of the Pacific where the, the, this island is located. Um, you know, if we look at compare patrilineal societies with the matrilineal societies, it seems that in matrilineal societies there's a bit more uh, sexual equality going on there, and that women have a larger role than their sisters in patrilineal societies, uh, but even though they have uh, stronger rights uh, and the ability to, to get ahead and um, sometimes ascend to um, uh, positions of, of leadership, it's still, even in these matrilineal societies, uh, patriarchy reigns and males you know, dominate most of the um, political, economic, and social dimensions of life. Um, now we're turning to resolution to conflict, and you can think of two ways of doing things. Uh, peaceful resolution, uh, you know, making a settlement uh, through some kind of negotiation, or violent resolutions of conflict, and here we're talking about uh, warfare. And by the way, uh, the research by Carol Ember and Mel Ember has been kind of leading the way uh, in an anthropological understanding of um, of, uh, of warfare, and I would say that you know they're probably more recognized uh, in this area of anthropological theory than uh, any of the other areas that they work in. Although they've had uh, influence in quite a, a number of different areas, but um, you know one way to resolve uh, a conflict is simply to avoid the troublemaker. And one of the ways one can do it is essentially voting with one's feet. That is, uh, one could uh, reduce the potential of conflict. Uh, uh, you know, between people who 
for one reason or the other just can't get along. They may move to different ends of the village, or one may essentially decide, uh, one family group, uh, for example, may decide to leave and join another group. Um, communities are very interested in, in maintaining orderliness, um, and a lot of times other members of the community will step in and uh, propose some kind of uh, resolution through negotiation and mediation. Uh, sometimes we have uh, ritual um, reconciliation uh, through a kind of formal uh, apology uh, after the community has judged one person to be more in the wrong than others. And, um, you know, we, we have, you know, we're talking about community action. What are we talking about? We're talking about um, uh, elder men uh, who have come some kind of status and respect in conjunction with a, with a headman uh, to try and, you know, um, uh, engage in a kind of uh, informal trial, if you will, uh, that may lead to a negotiation, a mediation, or a ritual apology. And we have ordeals and deaths, uh, oaths and, and, and ordeals to determine um, uh, guilt or innocent. And then finally, uh, when we move uh, into uh, state-level societies, we have a very formal system through adjudication, through courts and codified law. A really interesting thing uh, here is that the state has um, a monopoly on the use of physical coercion to punish people. Uh, in banned and tribal level societies, if you didn't like the result um, of a, uh, a community kind of um, uh, judgment, uh, you could essentially still decide to take the law into your own hands. Not so uh, in a uh, modern state system. Uh, if you do take the law uh, in your own hands because um, you're angry with someone or you're dissatisfied with a court decision, then you're guilty of a crime. Uh, and so typically what we mean here, a crime is essentially something against the state. Uh, and, you know, if you steal from someone or if you injure someone, the state regards it as a crime against the state. You know, kind of let, nothing personal here, although it's highly personal. And they reserve the right to um, impose a decision, uh, make some kind of uh, punishment uh, or other necessary um, things such as, as a fine uh, to essentially uh, end the uh, uh, conflict and, and to maybe allow people to start uh, anew. Um, <clears throat> violent resolutions of conflict are very common. Uh, you know, if we were to look at uh, the frequency of warfare cross-culturally, uh, about 90 or even a little bit higher percent of all societies engage in warfare, at least occasionally. And so we, we talk about, you know, we can look at different levels of, of, of violence as, as we look at this list here. Individual violence, this is one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, people uh, either within families or between families um, uh, fight. Sometimes the, the fights are deadly. Feuding generally takes place between different kinship groups uh, that can uh, wreck a community, divide, um, divide it up. Uh, raiding uh, is, is really interesting because if you look at the warfare mortality uh, statistics, uh, most of the deaths occur in raiding. And these typically are stealthy raids on, on enemy villages uh, where your goal is to essentially is kill as many people as you can and not lose any of your own. Uh, and so these essentially are sneak attacks. But we also have sometimes large-scale confrontations, but these typically, you know, these are armies facing off uh, on an open field and everybody lines up and um, starts fighting. Uh, these typically occur 
uh, in later stages of cultural evolution, we find them in chiefdoms uh, or in state-level uh, societies. So feuding and raiding typically occur in, in, in bands uh, and travel-level societies, uh, whereas um, uh, large-scale uh, con confrontations occur in uh, chiefdom or state-level societies. Um, as mentioned, as I just mentioned, the type of warfare varies in scope and, uh, and complexity from society to society. Uh, generally, pre-industrial societies with higher warfare frequencies are likely to have had a history of unpredictable disasters that destroy food um, supplies. And this is uh, an important contribution as the embers have made in that if we look at pre-industrial societies, the biggest predictor of the frequency of, uh, of warfare has to do with a history of unpredictable disasters that destroy food supplies. The idea here is that um, although you may be at peace with your neighbor, you know that uh, a disaster can strike and that will uh, uh, seriously harm your food supply. So what you try to do to buffer that is to add land uh, to your area of control such that you can more effectively buffer uh, any kind of downturns uh, in, uh, the, uh, in the food supply. So and much of what we see in the way of warfare uh, essentially is economic um, invasives and has to do with competition over scarce resources that people need uh, to live uh, happy and productive lives. Um, there's a note here that uh, dramatic changes in, in a political system can occur more or less uh, voluntarily. Uh, you know, we can see, uh, for example, what happened to the Russian Empire just kind of fell apart. Uh, and perhaps the most striking type of political change in recent years is the spread of participatory, participatory forms of government, that is, uh, democracy. And one interesting thing about uh, democratic societies can, in terms of the warfare patterns is that democratic nations tend to fight just as much uh, compared to um, non-democratic nations, but they tend to fight less with other democratic uh, nations, which suggests that uh, these nations have a history of negotiation where they can talk things out and settle their disputes um, uh, peacefully. But it also relates to another issue I talked about uh, earlier. If we looked in band and, and tribal level societies, it was the case that um, uh, it was pretty egalitarian and democratic, and when we moved into the classical civilizations, we find uh, really uh, strong hierarchies and a great deal of inequality. And as we're moving along, uh, these days we're moving from this kind of uh, highly stratified um, and, and non-democratic form of, of, of governance to a more democratic um, form of, uh, of governance. So here are some key concepts and key terms. Know the differences between bands, tribes, chieftains, and states. And again, uh, that um, that table will, will help you do that. Uh, warfare, as I mentioned, tends to be associated with unpredictable food uh, shortages. And again, you know, uh, warfare is essentially uh, not, not not solely, uh, but 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 very frequently a matter of competition over scarce resources. Peaceful means of conflict resolution. Uh, we've uh, through negotiation and mediation and Kind of community uh, trials, etc., uh, and um, resource problems is the cause of warfare in small-scale societies, which is kind of a repeat of what I just said above. Uh, you know that tends to be much more common um, in, in 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 tribal societies. Uh, but when we look to the modern states, essentially 
they essentially conquer and incorporate other groups simply because they can and it will benefit the people who are members of, of their own society. So uh, state um, level societies become very predatory uh, in nature and since they have uh, they're so large uh, they can put up a larger um, military forces and small-scale societies they tend to gobble them up and incorporate them uh, within their domains. Um, high status of leadership tends to be hereditary and chieftain in state-level societies although that's changing in modern democratic societies uh, but you know in, in egalitarian societies and bands and tribes your status whether it's high or low is essentially earned is independent of what uh, your, your your father or your mother's status uh, um, was. And uh, their peaceful resolutions of conflict are achieved in a variety of ways, and I gave you that lift uh, about uh, five slides ago, so take a look at those means, whether it's voting with your feet, uh, whether it's uh, negotiation and mediation. And uh, the frequency and intensity of warfare uh, varies with social organization. What's really interesting uh, is that if you look at the frequency of warfare, in band and tribal level society, it seems to be higher uh, than what we have in um, modern uh, level societies. And also, uh, the evidence is so far that it tends to be more devastating in that you have a higher probability of being killed uh, at, by, by another person in a band or tribal level society than you do in the state level society. Uh, and um, but you know in state level societies the, the 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 downside has been there's quite a bit of inequality uh, and so uh, you know you kind of gain in one area and lose in another and then look at that highlight on democracy and economic uh, development uh, to kind of look at this kind of odd uh, trajectory we face going from egalitarian to stratified to more egalitarian democratic forms of um, social organization so that's it for chapter 13.